Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Hej och varmt välkommen Claire till Urbanistica podcast. Tack. Hur mår du? Bra, tack. Och du? Jag mår jättebra. Kul att se dig här. Tack, detsamma. Okej, okay, är du redo? Ja. Awesome. So, let's just give the, our English listeners uh, what did we... <laughs> oh man. Yeah. For my parents back home. Yeah. I'm learning Swedish. What, what did you say now? <laughs> we said... Hey, and welcome to Urbanistica Podcast. And I said, thanks. And yeah. of course, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? Nice. Are you ready? Let's go. So, are you ready? Yes. Yes. Uh, Claire, I'm so happy to see you here one more time in Urbanistica Podcast. So, really, welcome back to, to the podcast studio. Thank you so much. It's cool to be here. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Let's just basically start. You were a great guest in the previous episode. We talked about you, about you moving from USA to Stockholm, to Sweden, Stockholm, how you experienced your first like uh, four months, was it? Yeah, well, it was in November, so first three, three or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, uh, we, we, we do a follow-up episode and we will do even like the one more after the summer So, and give me, give the listeners a highlight about you. Who are you? How would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Claire. I'm from Michigan, USA. I am almost completed with my first year. I've almost completed my first year of master's studies in Sweden. I'm studying urban planning and design. And I'm doing this podcast with Urbanistica as just a student episode to follow the life of a student in Sweden from beginning, middle and end. And yeah, it's also a really amazing personal diary of sorts because I'm I'm learning that I'm learning, which is cool through this process. Yeah, that's amazing. Give us like a highlight about what uh, what are you studying now, which year you mentioned you're almost done with the first year of your master. Yep. So I'm almost done with the first year of my master's. I'm studying sustainable urban planning and design. I live here in Stockholm <laughs> I'm at KTH University so yeah so last time we talked we were we I think we recorded the episode in November was it mm-hmm. and we talked about the the winter the the like making a friendship with the sweets and many interesting stuff so how was the winter you, you I see you survived the winter here in Stockholm Yeah, no problem. Um, the winter here was darker than I'm used to, for sure. Um, definitely relied on a lot of 2 p.m., 3 p.m. fika, like <laughs> in the schedule. So getting coffee or maybe a little sweet mid-afternoon because when the sun sets at that time, you feel extra droopy. So, I mean, there was the darkness, there was the cold, which wasn't actually new for me being from Michigan I am really used to a cold winter, 
Um, but we also had a good bit of snow, so that was beautiful. And I think it was a snowier winter than average for Stockholm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what really saved me was having a really great friend group to do dinners with and having the amenities on campus to be able to still, you know, walk only (laughs) two minutes to the study building that for sure helped a lot. But also I was able to make some small trips within Sweden. So we got to enjoy a little bit of skiing and snowboarding and went up to the Arctic circle. So it really winter for me here was wonderful. Some of my friends who were from Argentina or Portugal or whatever had a definitely more of a shock, but, um, yeah, on the whole, it was amazing. Yeah. So, how was your um, like when when the sun when the sun was setting around two p.m. How was your reaction in the it, beginning, like first week? It was definitely strange. I mean, I have always sort of loathed the darkness of winter, even you know back home, because it makes me less adventurous. I feel like I want to just stay inside and be warm. Um, so when it was setting really early, I just sort of embraced it as like the new normal and everything was still up and running. I mean, the lights would come on, on the trails, the city is still alive. People are still cycling, you know, it's, the city doesn't stop. They're very used to that. So I kind of embraced that attitude and rolled with it. Did you have any chance to take part of winter activities here in Stockholm, but, or it was COVID, like everything was locked down? Yeah. A lot of the traditional things here weren't happening so I didn't end up experiencing them but Mm. I'll be here another year maybe next year I'll be able to see more of that but um yeah I mean so like no Christmas market nothing like uh mm. not the candles yeah (laughs) I did get a (laughs) the the candles for the window yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is cute but yeah it's very like traditional to have it yeah which actually is nice because I think the story is, you know, it used to, when houses were far apart, they would put those in the window um, to signal, you know, like there's someone else out there kind of. And yeah. also, I mean, it's a tool for basic navigation, I guess. But to, to, to whom did you send the signal that you still alive? You know, I guess my neighbors <laughs> and the greater population of Technikringen. So. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess you, nobody went home, right? of the lockdown or actually a lot of people went home oh really considerable christmas like of your friends or community yeah and i mean a lot of students as well the campus got really quiet for sure um i stayed with a small group of kind of my friends and Mm. one of my roommates and so we did a small christmas dinner but the rest of campus was very quiet i was the only person in the study buildings some days (laughs) so that was interesting but i really i used as a time to recharge i called home a lot and really reconnected with kind of friends and family. Yeah. So, I mean, it was different, but I came out of it feeling so rested. And a lot of my friends came back from trips home that were amazing, but yeah. needing a vacation from I understand, vacation, like you know? just to recharge and... Yeah. But I thought like nobody went home. Everybody stayed and because of the COVID and like there were, there were no flights and so on. No, I mean, a lot of people still managed to do it. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I mean... So how was your Christmas? It was low key. I hosted a small (laughs) dinner at my house um, and it was sort of a potluck of a bunch of our different Christmas cultures put together, but uh, really, really quiet. We got our first snowfall, our first, well, it wasn't the first, but um, on Christmas Eve, we got a beautiful layer of snow. So that really made it feel special. Um, But yeah, it was. That's amazing. Yeah. But you also managed to travel inside Sweden, like to different cities or. 
regions. Yeah. So actually in November, before all of that, I went up to Lapland with my friends. We took two cars and we drove the, you know, 15 hours from wow. Stockholm up to like Kiruna and Nobisco. And then we stayed in Uriksgrensen, which literally that town translates to the national border because it's the last <laughs> town on the highway before you reach Norway. Um, and that border was closed due to COVID, but uh, we had an amazing trip up there. I mean, we saw the Northern Lights. We wow. you know, had reindeer crossing the road in front of us. I skated on the lakes. We took yeah. some incredible winter hikes. Like we really had that kind of full Northern experience yeah. in a way, a lot of sauna time and started, or I guess we, we were, we were all still studying. So in the morning it was unique because we woke up and there was very limited daylight hours, but we would study in the kitchen with this beautiful panoramic view oh, wow. of, you know, the mountains. Yeah. And it's just, it was so, so you really experienced the, the, the beauty of Swedish nature. Definitely. That's awesome. What's the absolutely most beautiful thing that you saw or experienced? Mm, I think we were doing a hike near Abisko and we were hiking through maybe like up to your knee in snow. It was very, wow. very snowy. And we were following the trail markers and we got where I thought we thought we were approaching the summit and we were actually approaching the kind of low cloud layer. And we get to that and then we see the actual peak. And by the time we got up to the real peak and looked down, it looked like we were in heaven or something because wow. you couldn't see the bottom. It was this mountain covered in snow with this amazing sunset in the background. And it just descended into like a cloudy lake. It was surreal, really. Wow. We watched the sunset and the moon rise. It was unbelievable. And yeah. then we, we sledded <laughs> on, like, and we were all in snow pants and we ran and then slid down the mountain <laughs> on the way home. I felt like something out of the Grinch, like coming down <laughs> Mount Crumpet or something. It was amazing. How was, how was the driving there? Was it like easy? You, you could navigate or was it like a bit of difficulties? It's really easy to get there. We had basic GPS. Hmm. They have highways. You know, it was more or less simple. Um, the conditions were pretty good. We only had one part of the journey that was a little snowy, but um yeah very you, basic you, you drive yep nice so you have like your driving lessons from us and mm -hmm. cool in the previous episode we talked a lot about building a relationship a friendship with the um, sweets mm -hmm. so how did it go i mean how many friends <laughs> do you have now? <laughs> no, um well it's been amazing i've definitely gotten closer with some of my classmates and i have one friend he's swedish and it's been really great. He's been very patient in my <laughs> efforts to learn Swedish as well. Um, so he's kind of my main point of contact within my master's. But I also recently joined a Swedish women's soccer team. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. It's a regional team and uh, women you know, my age more or less. And it's a great level of play. But the most important thing is actually that it's all in Swedish. So that's been an amazing setting for me to really hear a lot of Swedish, get to know the girls, but also practice 
you know, a, a set of vocabulary. So yeah. that's been really amazing for both getting to know them and learning mm. Swedish. That's amazing. Can you tell us some of the words that you use during? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lot of uh, you know, directional words. So left, right, uh, venster, hoger. Okay. It's, um, you know, when you want to pass a through ball, melon, which means between. In between, yeah. Yeah. You have through equivalent in English. Um, you have basic numbers, so at four, three, four, five, six. Who? Cool. You got. You, you have to learn those because yeah. often they're explaining instructions. Colors has <laughs> also been really helpful. Um, you know, so red and blue. So what, what's what's the name of the team? Lindhagen FF. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so really basic. Um, you know, hem aspect like means home. So just these li random little words that <laughs> hashtags yeah right um so that's been amazing and then you know just getting to hear those types of instructions but the cool thing about soccer is i grew up playing soccer I, yeah it's my favorite sport by a long shot and i never thought i would get to play on a team again 11 to 11 you know at this scale and, and practice and so mm. it's been really cool you know to to do that but also kind of use it as a, a cultural you know, connection mm. and it's you know, something that really transcends language. So even though I don't always understand the full instructions, I can obviously observe. And I also am quite familiar with some of the things we do already because yeah. I've done them before, which, you know, makes me really sentimental because soccer is such a universal language all in its own. So um, it's been, yeah, the mm. opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> do, do they treat you like, okay, she, she doesn't know anything. She just here. She don't understand anything or yeah. how, yeah. How do they interact with me? It, yeah. They're amazing. They've been so welcoming of me and, you know, not condescending at all. I mean, they are, things are in Swedish and I have made it clear that I'm learning Swedish. I'm, in, you know, intending to do that. But, you know, when they can tell I'm confused, oftentimes a teammate will just, you know, kind of summarize for me or I can ask them. Um, the coaches are very considerate and very kind as well. Um so, you know, sometimes they have to explain, sometimes they don't, which are those proud moments when I'm like, oh, okay, I got this one. Um, so, yeah, but on the whole, it's, That's I, amazing. I, I hope, I like to think I haven't been too much of a hindrance. Yeah. It doesn't seem but you also like, you're taking a Swedish course, right? Or? So there is a, an online Swedish course through the Swedish national website called Learning Swedish. And they have modules that you can self-study. And so a friend um, and of mine, who also studies at KTH, we are doing it together. Okay. Um, and so we've been having, <laughs> outside of the actual course that we're working through, we do like a word of the day. Yeah. So that's been, that's been fun. So how is it going now with the Swedish? Like, uh, is it, is there a, a specific level that you can say I'm? I would say I'm still pretty basic. I'm, I'm in this phase of really putting together vocabulary and understanding those connecting words in language so your prepositions your pronouns the mm -hmm. <laughs> basic you know like uh, like um, interrogative pronouns i think you know who what when where why yeah. understanding those and being able to pick those out in sentences and then understand you know common phrases the things people say exact absolutes these common refrains or whatever i'm still gathering a lot but what's been great about learning at this point is i've been seeing swedish everywhere and so now that i'm learning what those sounds what those correspond to in sound is mm. is really key so i think in the coming months a lot is going to click for me but i wouldn't say i'm you know amazingly conversational by any means but 
I'm definitely way more aware. So like maybe after the summer, are we going to record in Swedish? <laughs> That would be incredible, but I'm not going to make any promises just yet. <laughs> so tell me more about your studies now. Like how is it going with the courses? Which courses you attended? Yep. So I am currently in two courses. One is urban economics and the other is um, sustainable transportation uh, development. <laughs> it's like a it's a long title yeah. that's sort of the the gist of it but yeah. um yeah and that's been great because I've definitely found myself interested in and as a result selecting classes that focus on transport and mobility so that is great because I'm leading up to ultimately doing my thesis within that realm so I'm really enjoying that but it's going well awesome so what uh, can you explain more to us What are these courses about or what kind of project you work with? Yeah, so the urban economics course has been ooh, kind of kind of widespread, but sort of the underlying theme has been really analyzing capitalism in relation to sustainable development and sort of asking ourselves if this is the right path forward because the way that, you know, the, the dominant system works is that it it's an exchange economy. It's, it's not focused on, um, you know, kind of a, a greater good. It's focused on profit, not, not people. That is the goal of capitalism. And so it relies on certain inequalities to thrive. And it also relies on a constant flow of production, which mm. isn't something that is sustainable um, on a variety of fronts. If we want to have a better world in yeah. you know, coming decades. So that's been a bit more theoretical at points but still I think very provocative and we've gotten to read, you know, amazing sort of historical economics literature about everything from like where it crosses paths with feminism to, I mean, it's, it's been wide reaching for sure, yeah. but really very thought provoking. What was the final project? What did you have like a, we haven't had it yet. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, the other course though is probably my favorite. Um, and we recently, like, for example, had an assignment um, calculating the impacts of long distance travel. So, I mean, transport itself usually accounts for anywhere from a quarter to a third of a country's carbon emissions. And so it's a big area to reduce its impact. And one of the parts that isn't included in that part of the budget is emissions from international mm. flights. So that when we say that quarter or that third, it doesn't include like air <laughs> at all. But, but, which, but this is in Sweden or like internationally? So this in Sweden, it's actually a third because Sweden is has lower emissions in other sectors like um, buildings uh, and efficiency in, in that sense. So it looks like more in Sweden because they're just better. But in other countries, it's usually around a quarter like in the US. And so what is concerning is that With air not being in that, I mean, emissions from air travel are almost the that exact amount. Like in Sweden, actually, example that's only in Sweden. Um, there's you know 10 million tons of CO2 equivalents, kind of due to transport and another 10 essentially from international travel. So the reason is it's the point is that it's very important, and so we got to do this assignment going, um, you know what would a realistic image of 2040 look like 
for us to be able to reach the 2050 Paris climate targets. Uh, and so we had to go back and, you know, quantify where we are now and look at, you know, kind of if that path is going to get us to 2050, where do we need to be at that point? What do those levels look like? And so that was um, really thought provoking because then we also had to propose the policies and like major changes that would have to occur, you know, shifting to rail, reducing car or shifting car to electric, like EVs and hybrids. Um, you know, so it, it was really quite a high level and kind of all encompassing, but still really cool to get into the details of that. Yeah. How do you gather data? Is, is there any data available? So we got to choose the country we worked with. I selected Sweden and that's really advantageous because they have an amazing system of statistics and facts all um, it's like called Statistics Sweden. I mean, they have a lot of this information mm. available to the public. And so that helps, but also a lot of looking at other research. Um, but it is, it, it was very tricky because a lot of times they would put things in, in terms, you know, someone's goal is to reduce <laughs> emissions by 70% of 1990 levels. And then someone else is looking at, you know, a 50% reduction of these levels and they don't always correspond. So mm-hmm. kind of different metrics, but um a very so in, in like from from what you did in this uh, project what do we need to do if you want to achieve really like the 2040 goal yeah so other than you know better improving rail so increasing the amount of rail and reducing car use a huge part of it is not flying like essentially our um well my image of 2040 in Sweden had already phased out domestic flights and it banked on a you know assumption that the technology for flights operating on biofuels and also maybe even electric mm. were in operation and only kind of in areas that where it was absolutely necessary so a lot of routes to the north where they have huge you know kilometers to cover but in addition to that it involved uh, a reduction in international air travel as well which i mean you can see why this is a really tricky thing to work with because you know <laughs> you don't you don't want to argue for a, a slowdown of, of that but in some ways we we can't keep up this level of travel and moving around and and also i mean looking at you know europe alone a lot of these trips can be made with other modes but also and i think one thing that the pandemic has been really good for is making us realize that we have technologies that can replace travel. Mm. Um, And so, you know. Like the unnecessary travel. Exactly. And so actually reducing business travel is a huge. Yeah, I can imagine. Like portion of that. It's about a quarter, I think. So, um, you know, doing that is really important as well to just, yeah, Mm. lower. Do Do you believe that like in the coming 10 years that the technology that we will have more environmental friendly airplanes? Or do you see any vibes of we're getting there? Honestly, I think 10 years is way too early. And I'm not an expert in this. I mean, there's plenty like of from your point of view? I would say no. And I mean, also it, what it comes down to is, yes, technology is a lever we can use, but reducing demand is also the ultimately most important lever that we have. Mm. Um, and I don't know, there's also talk of kind of different policies where you can have you know scaled taxation so that you're not penalizing you know the people who have a once in a lifetime opportunity to travel and Mm. then you know can't do it because the cost is too high like frequent flyers that kind of 
segment needs to change as well so that, you know, when you talk about the social impacts, it's, you know, the burden, it can maybe be distributed a little more fairly, but um, I, I really don't know if the technology is going to get us there mm. in time at this, at this rate. At the, yeah, exactly. And I think biofuels are going to get there before, mm. you know, any electric planes start flying around, but I'm sure, I'm sure there's people somewhere racing to try to get to that. You don't think, you don't think Elon Musk will do something? That's exactly what I was thinking of actually. Um, who knows? He's probably going to make a, I don't know, teleportation device before he goes for an ele electric plane or something. <laughs> But if he made an electric plane, that would be awesome. Because now what, when you speak, is it like a big difference from the, our first episode? Because now when you speak, you're like more passionate about transportation and within urban planning. So how did you find that this is my passion or this is what I would love to continue with? Was it like, is there any specific moment on, or no, it's just like. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So there's, you know, three sectors you usually work with, energy, transport, and Uh, land use. And so I often found myself picking these, you know, transport related, um, you know, prompts or assignments or choosing to work with some kind of transport project. I also, in understanding its impact in the scheme of our total carbon emissions, I also realized it's an area that does need a lot of attention and fast. And it's something that we really can influence as individuals. I mean, that is, those are our choices that, you know, end up becoming part of the demand for travel. I mean, it's how you choose to get to work. It's how you choose to go on vacation. It's, it's choice really. And so I think as a, as a person, I just found that really compelling. And, you know, I love, I love going places. I love doing things, but I mean, in this city, my environment here encourages me to get on my bike and go. And sometimes I take transport, but I'm living here without a car and I'm, I haven't missed it at all, you know? And I think, I think it's a shift in culture, but it also needs to be accompanied by a shift in the environment that's, you know, the built environment that surrounds us and ultimately, you know, high level policies and changing, you know, what is available. So I'm building more rail, mm. um, which like go Biden for, you know, <laughs> proposing these ambitious um, investments in our infrastructure like that in the U.S. But I mean, it's cool to be in, in Sweden where they're already kind of light years ahead of that. Yeah, compared to yes. So, do you think that like because you're biking a lot, do you think it's affected the the kind of courses you choose or no? Not really in that sense. Not exactly. I think I understand it more just because I do it every day. Um, but I also just find it to be something that is really available to everyone. Mm. I mean, it's a relatively small investment to get a bike, and it saves you a lot in the long run. So, I think there's also a really good social justification for it um but yeah I, i don't know i'm i didn't expect to wind up so focused on transport but then when i step back and think about it 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 feels right i'm a i'm a i'm a mover <laughs> at the end of the day to be honest so it's it's fun to deal with something that has that same fundamental essence how was the atmosphere in kth in general like the lecturing uh, studying from home the digital versus erl yeah i mean I think all universities have had, I mean, everywhere, everyone everywhere has had the challenge of adapting to the pandemic and the restrictions that have gone along with it. So, I mean, KTH, I think, has done their best, but it definitely is different learning in a remote environment. I, I'm, I'm really grateful for having 
you know, classmates that we can kind of vent about it at times yeah. because it, it is a really different way. I miss the interaction with professors. We're not in the classroom at all here. Um, and luckily we can still meet with group mates if they also are willing yeah. you know, to meet on campus and campus is open, which is also a luxury, but, um, yeah, it's, it's pushing me to be even more, you know, disciplined as a student because you, you know, you don't have that accountability of, of sitting in class in your seat and looking at mm. the professor, you know, this, this anonymity of a screen is a double-edged sword for yeah. sure. And I also really miss um, for, you know, group when you have to meet in a group um, in person, it's a very different than on zoom when they put us in breakout rooms or something. I, I miss normal culture because the zoom culture for, for groups has, it, it amazes me or kind of baffles me because people don't, they, it's like the normal social rules don't apply. They'll just stare at you sometimes and you're like, hello, you know, <laughs> we are still, you know, pretend there's not a screen here. What yeah. you're doing is weird, you know? So it's, it's like sometimes uh, strange to, to realize we're living in this reality, but you know, that's not everyone. And I, mm. I just think, you know, people have varying levels of, you know, comfort when it comes to online learning and yeah. participating in this format. So, so are, are, are you tired of, uh, doing it remotely i'm i mean i like what i'm learning but i i don't know i miss regular learning for sure mm -hmm. it would be nice but i'm really grateful to have to be able to study here at all yeah. right now yeah. so i understand so how how is the student life going like um, with the other students are you doing like some kind of events activities together how how, how is the situation now there's not a ton of mingling you know really encouraged through the university a lot of the student life stuff isn't as big as usual also like kind of an interesting thing about kth is it is it has a really strong you know student life um i don't know how to describe it really they're called chapters but it's sort of like the equivalent of fraternities and sororities in the u.s except they're co-ed and they're based on your area of study and these chapters are really popular for bachelor students, not so much for mm. master students, unless you were doing your ma your bachelor's here as well. So, um, you know, I observe that going on. I, I know like a few people involved in that, but it's not really the circle that I'm in. And so I know a lot of international master students and other, you know, my cohort mates in my program. And that's sort of my circle. And it's, it's, you know, a group of close friends. It's group of friends that I go climbing with at the climbing gym. It's, a group of friends that I do other sports with soccer or running, but um, we kind of do our own thing, dinner yeah. parties, uh, smaller gatherings. It's, we haven't been reaching out a ton, which I think is just safer for everyone's general health. Yeah, I understand. So like before we talk about the future, your plans for the summer internship uh, and further, how is like, if you evaluate your previous um, seven, eight months, how, what is, what will you say? Like, do you feel home now in Sweden? Yeah. I mean, this really does feel, I feel very settled here, which is amazing. And it still gives me thrills, like my bike ride to soccer practice, you know, two days a week when I go there and I bike over the bridges and I go from, you know, campus through Normalm, past part of Södermalm into Lillessing and then onto another island. It's, I mean, I cross and I see the landscape and I, I see the sunset and I'm just in awe of the fact that this is my daily life and how much joy I find in 
just the the ordinary things, you know. Um, so I I really do I love it here. I mean, I'm and I'm grateful for the people from my, you know, my roommate is amazing, my close friends are amazing here. I I feel like I have a community, you know, which I think is something that requires patience when you move somewhere because that doesn't happen right away, but slowly those pieces fall together. Well, the family I nanny for, the soccer team, my cohort, and, and obviously my other friends, like it just, it's gratifying to to be at this point. And, you know, I, I would say I could be doing better on Swedish if I had started sooner. I think I would be much farther along, but, um, you know, there's a lot to acclimate to when you, when you move countries. And I, I have to just give myself a little bit of grace to say, okay, I had some things to figure out first. And, and now that I'm pretty sure that I want to stay here, you know, at least for a little while and work here for a few years after I graduate, I know I need to learn Swedish. Mm. And so that's been a huge motivating factor as well. Sure. We would love to have you here in Sweden because I think you're a very great and innovative mind. So, oh, well, thank you. So tell me, what is your uh, plans for the, for the summer or after the summer? Um, you're looking for an internship, right? I am. And I mean, this summer, I've been applying to things that like internships that actually are for the fall semester alongside studies um, and some opportunities that are during the summer. But it's definitely unique to the U.S. where in the U.S., you know, every summer during my studies, I had an internship and everyone I knew had some kind of internship. Mm. I mean, you, you busy yourself with work because that's what's normal and what's expected. And here... I mean, from the people I've talked to and, you know, I've kind of networked a, a good bit as well and talked to some alum and it's not, it's not as normal. I mean, work slows down for Swedish people in the summertime and people take most of July off. Yeah. And I mean, it, like people's bosses tell them, you know, like you know, change your shift things on your schedule, you know, move things kind of here and there, like make sure you take the time off, which is just so not <laughs> usual in the US. I mean, you get two weeks a year to vacation like summer is no exception and so I've had to dial back my expectations because the opportunities that I'm used to looking for don't exactly look the same in the summer yeah period it's another system basically entirely Mm. so with that being said I have sort of I have I mean some things in the works but if none of those opportunities pan out then what I'm going to do and what I would still like to do but might be a lot if I'm also doing those is actually self-study an online course for GIS and then also keep working on my Swedish. And I mean, I also have, you know, life things that I want to do. I mean, I'm in Europe for the first summer, you know, it's, it's really a unique experience. So I'm going to be having a little reunion with friends over midsummer here. I actually just recently booked a trip home, you know, towards end of July to go visit home. I haven't been home and um, by that time it will be just about a year, two weeks shy of a year. So I think it will be really beautiful to, Mm you know, reconnect with everyone mm. back home and, and check in before I come back here for next fall. Yeah. So where would you like to have an internship or like what would you like to work with? Is it also transportation? Is there any like a very niche area? Yeah. So I am open to a lot of possibilities right now, but I'm definitely keeping my ears perked for there's uh, like traffic consultancies, which I think could be really interesting. I also am looking at some just like larger consultancies as a whole, be they Sueco or Miras or, you know, different kinds of official opportunities. I'm ultimately planning to do my thesis or I'm hoping to do my thesis uh, with a company, which can be a really great way to learn Mm. more while also maybe kind of 
getting a foot in the door at, at places that I would ultimately be interested in working for. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I've, I've thought of everything from, you know, kind of like an informal job shadowing as well, but, um, like some things just don't exist in the same sense here. So it's, it's been a good reality check, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really any kind of learning experience related to mobility, transport oriented development, mobility. Systems, yeah. I mean, all of those things are really interesting topics to me right now. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the good luck. I think you, you need to, you started to like email and network, right? Because it's, it's very important here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge and, and speed and LinkedIn is very yeah. much a, a lifeline for your career here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually I've, I've been connected with some really, really great people. I've had several, you know, kind of Fika coffee chats and each time I really do pick up, you know, these nuggets of information that are moving me forward and helping me understand, you know, the work culture here more. Mm. And it's been great to talk to alumni. It's been great to, get a mentor. We actually have a, an official mentor through KTH. You could sign up for a, a mentorship program with a former alum. So I, you know, I've had that as well. And so it's, you know, I, I feel supported, but I mean, you definitely have to make the effort. And I think networking really gets a bad, you know, bad rap. <laughs> um, and so I've really tried to embrace it as with just being authentic. And I, I've found that people here are are really candid, which is refreshing because I think part of what makes networking kind of scary in the US, um, especially in sort of the business sector is it's very, there's a, there's a performative aspect to it. You know, people are, are being, you know, there, there's a different way of being. Yeah. So I, it's been nice to feel like I can do it here, but do it as really myself and genuinely just, you know, learn throughout the process. That's awesome. So Claire, thank you so much again for being here. I'm so happy to talk with you. I'm so happy to follow your story. And I think you, you're doing a really great job, both like within KTH, but also within the city of Stockholm. Thank you. Before you go back to your, to your campus, I would love that we finish this great episode by you give us the listeners three takeaway messages and then ask, ask us one question. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think the first takeaway I would give is that in especially in the context of covid travel doesn't have to be super far away to be exotic and exciting and an adventure and that's something that initially i felt disappointed about you know i can't go beyond sweden i can't go to europe i'm here but i've had amazing adventures just exploring this country which for you know any american it's it's a country that you know is quite small not much bigger than you know michigan and maybe the surrounding state or two in the midwest it's a small area with a lot to offer. So I think, you know, think about what's near you and go there if you can and <laughs> relish the fact that you're also not going to have as big of a footprint from traveling to the great things near you. Um, for the second, I would say related to, you know, learning Swedish, I feel that it's reminded me that, you know, learning anything new does involve or kind of require immersing yourself in it and in doing so leaving your comfort zone. And I have found that to be really awkward sometimes, but really rewarding. And, you know, it's great to, to feel or find something that can make you feel like you're growing in a time that, you know, you can make you feel a bit restricted. And I mean, third, 
Networking doesn't have to be painful. Um, I feel like I could <laughs> preach this to the greater, you know, professional world. Um, let's all just be genuine and, you know, help each other do good things out here. Yes, let's do it. Thank you so much. And your question to us. Yeah. So I think my question for listeners, it would be, is a bit more provocative for maybe listeners from the U.S. or, you know, non-Swedish listeners in a way, because about biking and my question is you know what is your relationship like with your bike do you even have one do you use it much could you use it more and if so why not start and I've been thinking about this a lot as I look forward to going home ultimately in the summer where I'm going to go home and you know, my family has cars plural and you know people there just don't take the same trip that would take 10 minutes by bike to run their groceries. You know, they take a car and it's completely accessible by bike, maybe a little less enjoyable without lack of bike paths or something. But I just think, you know, no matter where you are though, it's still, it's kind of a, a why not thing. And it's a lot of, I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I would encourage people to think about it because it's a benefit for you. It's, active mobility it's exercise it feels great to get around and catch the sunset while on two wheels and you know ultimately it's also so much better for the planet so think uh, about your bike yeah that's <laughs> awesome and also i would love to to end with um, some chat that i had with young gail he said that when you go to a doctor and you have a health problem the doctor would tell you you go and bike the doctor never tell you you go and drive car <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I see I see the point there. Thank you so much for being here and uh, I wish you all the good luck with uh, your studies, projects and with everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.